Okay, mamas, we have an episode for you today. This one is awesome. And I get to chat with Kim Vopney. Now, I am going to let her introduce herself and what she does, but suffice it to say, this is a very important topic, especially for moms, uh, for women in general, but really this pertains to moms and something we could be doing to improve our health in a certain area of our bodies. Uh, It's probably something that we thought we just had to live with, and it turns out it's not. So I am going to let her tell you all about it. This is a fantastic, informative educational chat, and I am so proud to be able to bring it to you today. So enjoy. This episode is brought to you by the Bucket Challenge. This 28-day challenge starts January 13th, and it is all about you. It's about filling your own bucket first so that you are able to pour into others. It is all about putting on your own oxygen mask first. As moms, we are better able to take care of those around us if we make taking care of ourselves a priority. We start January 13th, and you can find all the details at momcamplife.com slash thebuckethallenge. Welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but I believe it also takes a village to raise a mom. I'm your host, Jillian Benke, the founder of Mom Camp, and each episode I chat with busy moms who are doing awesome things in life and work. Join us for real conversation and community, because this is your village. This is the Around the Campfire podcast. Hello, Kim, and welcome to Around the Campfire. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. I am super pumped to talk about this today because this is not something I've discussed a lot with people in general, but especially on the podcast. Uh, Why don't you start by introducing yourself and your Instagram handle? (laughs) Sure. Well, um, yeah, Vagina Coach is my handle, and that always gets a few funny little snickers and makes people say, did I just hear that correctly? But (laughs) it... um, so I I essentially grew up with a bit of a fear and fascination with birth, and I didn't quite understand the mechanics of how babies came out of vaginas and women were able to carry on. And I actually saw my mom deal with a few struggles. So the picture for me that was painted at a young age was one that I, I didn't necessarily want to have children. Mm. But, uh, but I, as I grew up and I married my husband and we decided we did want to start a family, I still had this fear of birth and tearing and dealing with all the challenges that my mom had had. And so when I was pregnant myself, I was speaking with my midwives and they had recommended a product to me called the EpiNo, which was a a biofeedback device for the pelvic floor that helps women learn how to kind of see their kegels, so to speak, but also helps prepare the pelvic floor for birth. And I used that and had a great experience. And I thought, you know, more women should know about this. And I contacted the company and asked to be a distributor. And when, so that's kind of how it started, but it wasn't supposed to be a business per se. And so early on, I started selling that on the side uh, and it was very much prenatal focused. And then as things evolved, women would come to me after the fact and say, okay, well, can you help me with this now? Usually it was incontinence or organ prolapse. Mm -hmm. And so what is organ prolapse? um, 
it's when the the organs, so that either the bladder, the uterus, or the rectum, start to shift out of their optimal alignment, and they can create bulges in in the vagina. And in mm. extreme cases, they can actually bulge right out. Um, so it's quite life altering when you deal with an organ prolapse. I but, would say, um, yeah. Yeah. So I I started to shift to kind of covering pregnancy, motherhood, menopause. I mean, kind of all stages of life. And it was a few years ago. I was in front of a uh, an audience at the Mompreneur conference in Ontario, and I was one of the speakers. And the speakers at the conference over the two days are very much focused on business, so marketing and s- strategy, and you know all that kind of stuff. And so they were all different coaches. And I would, I waited my turn. I come up on stage for my talk, and my talk was called "How Optimizing Your Pelvic Health Can Make You a Better Mompreneur." And I came up on stage and I said, okay, and now you have a vagina coach in your business. And it kind of just <laughs> it kind of just came out and and that's how it, it sort of happened. That's where the term before that I was fitness doula and it was very focused again on the birth side and it didn't right. really necessarily resonate with women in menopause. So vagina coach really kind of summed it up that I work with women through all stages of life and it's very focused on pelvic health. And I, I want to dig into the pelvic health side, but just as a side note, I understand you actually have had some trouble using that handle. Is that right? Well, I had, uh, so Instagram, I had no issues and Great. Facebook, I had, when I first started, I had a different page name. I had my, my business page name. And when I wanted to, so when, when that came out and I was kind of starting to rebrand and change all of my handles. Facebook was, it, it took about three years. And so Facebook oh. was recognizing it as not appropriate. And um, so I had a, f- a few struggles with that, but eventually uh, it, it's now changed over. So finally they, the bots or whoever it was, let me in. <laughs> That's crazy that it's not appropriate. You can't use the medically uh, like, you know, accurate term exactly. or anatomically exactly. accurate. That's crazy. Yes, it is crazy. What are we teaching people? I oh. know. That's what I said. <laughs> All right. So I, I have so many questions. What does it mean to have good pelvic floor health? Good question. Um, so the pelvic floor is a group of muscles that closes off the base of the pelvis. So you know, you might want to do this in a private area, but essentially if you're standing up and you put your fingers on your pubic, people call it the pubic bone, but it's actually a joint. So your pubic bone or joint is a an attachment point of your pelvic floor muscles. And then at the base of our spine, so we have our sacrum, which is a bit of a triangle shaped bone. And then at the base of that, at the, at the end, we have our tailbone. Everybody generally knows the tailbone. The tailbone mm-hmm. is another attachment point for the muscles. And then if you're sitting on a chair and you kind of pry your butt cheeks apart and you almost dig in there, you should feel bones in your bum. Mm -hmm. And those bones called your ischial tuberosities are also attachment points for your pelvic floor muscles. So the muscles, it's, it's a group of them. It's not just one. And they close off the pelvis, essentially attaching at all of those points. It's kind of like a diamond shape where they attach. And they perform roles such as holding those organs up in place. So when I talked about organ prolapse a minute ago, the bladder, the uterus, the rectum, they play a role in helping support them where they're supposed to be. Mm. The pelvic floor muscles play a role in helping us with our continence. So we should be able to distinguish between the need to pee, poo, or fart, and then have control to be able to either eliminate, let it go, or hold on to it if it's not an appropriate time. (laughs) And And, sometimes you hope you're right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) 
and uh, plays a role in our, because of those attachment points at the base of the spine and also on the pelvis, the muscles play a role in our pelvic and spinal stability. And they also play a role in our sexual response. So our ability to have sex, to have pleasurable sex, or potentially not enjoy it. Mm. Uh, So there's all these really important roles that the pelvic floor does. And we, you know, we, we grow up, unless there's been an injury or something has happened in younger years, generally it's something that we don't think about. All these things are automated. They just happen without us thinking about them. And when something happens, like pregnancy, birth, car accident, a fall on the tailbone, a surgery, all sorts of different things can influence that group of muscles, not always in a great way. And that can sometimes interfere with the ability of the pelvic floor to do all of its jobs or maybe one of its jobs. So pelvic health is really about keeping those muscles working optimally so that all of those functions continue to happen automatically or without us having to think about them. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. So then if, how would you, I mean, what are the the signs? Obviously incontinence or, you know, leaking would be a mm-hmm. sign, I assume, mm-hmm. but are there other signs that you might not have optimal pelvic floor health? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so leaking or incontinence. So in, it, that's a big one. And I think a lot of women, especially as we get older and especially women who've had children have this kind of they accept that, oh, it's just normal because I've had babies or because I'm getting older, because now I'm in menopause. And incontinence is there's stress urinary incontinence, which is where you exert a force, like you might laugh or cough or jump or something, and a little bit of urine leaks out. And it's often referred to, you know, kind of jokingly as peezing or sneeze pee. (laughs) And so that's very, very common. There's also yes. urge incontinence, which is where you know you're fine, and then all of a sudden you, you just get this uncontrollable, overwhelming need to get to the bathroom, and sometimes you don't make it there in time. You can have a bit of both, so mixed incontinence. So signals would be again the, the sense of urgency, all of a sudden coming out of the blue, or little bits of pee coming out through the day where you're wearing a pad, or you start to pee just in case. Um, in, um, prolapse, sorry, those signs might be, you could feel like you have something in your vagina. A lot of people say, you know, I feel like I have a tampon that's kind of dislodged mm. and it's stuck in there. Some people might feel back pain, uh, hip pain. It could be difficulty if you still wear tampons, it could be difficulty inserting a tampon or a diva cup. It could be that once you insert it, it doesn't feel right or it, it starts to push out. Uh, it could be pain with sex in the sense of um, not always pain with penetration, but while you're if you're having intercourse and your partner is male, or if there's you know fingers or a toy, it could feel like it's hitting something where it doesn't feel like it quite goes where it should, or there's something in the way. And so I would say those would be the most common symptoms, generally a sense of heaviness, even especially around um, during your cycle. So the week before and the week of your period, those symptoms may be exacerbated and on leaking as well. Um, Mm. Chronic back pain. So there's a huge correlation between chronic low back pain and pelvic floor dysfunction. It's over, Mm. well, there was one recent study that showed it was close to 90%. So so well over 80% of people with low back pain also have some form of pelvic floor dysfunction. So really? uh, incontinence and prolapse. And um, and then there can also be pain with sex. So if there, there can be different types, so pain with penetration or 
pain with the thought of penetration. Um, their vaginal dryness, irritation. There's, I mean, I could go on and on. There's wow. lots of different, uh, lots of different things, but um, I would say incontinence and prolapse are definitely the most common. For sure. And I think most moms I talk to have some sort of incontinence or, or mm-hmm. leaking, you know, uh, at mom camp, uh, we had the dance party and I, I definitely mm-hmm. know I experienced a little bit of an issue, yeah. you know, lots of jumping. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So all that being said, I mean, it's, is that, I know it's common. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it normal? Is it something that we should be taking steps. I mean, you're the vagina coach. This is your your jam. So yeah. what can we do to address that? Yeah, um, definitely very common, but I'm hoping that it becomes less and less common the more awareness is created. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not, media gives us the impression that it's quote unquote, just part of being a woman or something that we need to accept and just put pads in and you can carry on. And there's all sorts of different types of underwear. Um, you know, bladder control underwear and that type of thing. So I, there, there is a place for products like that. And it's my aim to make that place temporary, that it's Mm. not something that women should just say, well, this is how it is now. And now I, this is just something I need to, to do. And incontinence pads, if you're using them every day, it can cost you upwards of $1,500 a year. So it's, it's quite Mm. an expense and it's really incontinence is really treatable. And if you incorporate practices like pelvic floor fitness, which is a lot of what I do, uh, working with pelvic floor physiotherapists, which a lot of women haven't heard of, uh, is also something that's really, really key. And the stat with that was, I believe the the stat was about 83 or it was something around 80% cure rate with pelvic floor physio and pelvic floor muscle training for incontinence cure. And and that's significant. Explain to me pelvic floor physiotherapist? Because I think most people have heard of physiotherapist, know what a mm-hmm. physiotherapist does. How is a pelvic floor physiotherapist different? So a pelvic floor physio is trained as a regular physio. So they've done their initial physiotherapist training, and then they seek out and do additional training specific to the pelvic floor. And they then are licensed to go beyond the introitus, which is the entrance to the vagina. And they use gloved fingers to assess the external genitalia. So they would be looking for changes in, you know, skin, uh, tissue color. They might be looking if there's any scar tissue from previous surgeries or potentially childbirth as well, they would be looking at that scar tissue. And then they assess internally. So what they do is use one to two fingers and insert that into the vagina. And they're assessing for a balance in tone. So they should feel that both sides have equal give. And Mm -hmm. one side, sometimes one side might feel much more stuck almost or a bit more firm. And then the other might be more lax, more able to stretch. So they want, there should be a balanced tone and they also would feel then for the person's ability to do a Kegel exercise. So can the person contract, which would initially be feel kind of like a bit of a hug around the fingers and then almost like a a sense of drawing those fingers upwards Mm. and then letting that go. And the letting go is often actually the harder part for a lot of people. 
So they will assess for that ability to contract, lift, and let go. And they'll also assess the positions of the organs. And so when I was talking about organ prolapse, they can feel and see if there is any bulging in the the vaginal walls. And a really good physio will also assess you in standing because the presentation of prolapse looks very different when you're lying down compared to when Mm. you're standing up due to the influence of gravity. So it's important that you have um, a physio who will assess you in standing as well. And then a lot of people will say, well, what about, you know, when I go to my doctor and I have a pap or if, you know, can my doctor do the same exam? And the a lot of time exams are done in a doctor's office. They're done with a speculum and a speculum Mm -hmm. pushes the bulges out of the way. And doctors also have a very limited time. So they, we have a very small window, at least here in Canada, especially when you're in a public health care system where you, you have like seven to 10 minutes per session, unless maybe you've booked your physical and uh, they don't have time to actually do a thorough assessment of the pelvic floor. So with a physio, usually that's around an hour and it's not an hour just internally. It's, they look, they look (laughs) externally as well. And yeah, the internal pieces, they maybe, you know, 10 minutes or so like that, unless there's maybe a bit of treatment that they're doing as well. So they can mobilize scar tissue. Mm. They can work on uh, releasing kind of stuck muscle and really help improve that Kegel exercise. So they're, in my opinion, the most underused women's health resource that we have. Yeah, and I had never heard of it until I started looking, like researching you, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people haven't. And I find that really, you know, when I first heard about them, uh, th- this is like 12 years ago-ish, mm. um, I was the same. I thought, oh my gosh, how how is this the first time that I'm hearing about this? I've given birth twice. Nobody has ever mentioned anything to do with this. And in, I think every single woman should see one every single year, even if there's no symptoms. And I think it should be paid for by our government. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's, it's interesting. And there's still, there is still a bit of a societal awkwardness around mm-hmm. talking about this stuff. So maybe that's why, but it's it's something that doctors should be prescribing when they say, oh, you're 100%. having trouble with incontinence, you know, you should go see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. It's fascinating that it's it's not more of a commonly used resource. Yeah, 100%. And it's, there's a few people like it, it is starting. So there is, the, the referral is starting. Um, but there's quite, a, there's a long way to go. And, and the other piece of that is, Many women right now, if if they are struggling with incontinence or prolapse, they, they've often been struggling for years. So mm-hmm. women are very good at just kind of, you know, putting a pad in or just pretending it's not there, just ignoring it, carrying just on. Dealing with it, yeah. Yeah. So we, and then at some point uh, it, it's like, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. It's now really, really interfering with my life. And then they'll go see their doctor. And that usually starts them on the path of drugs and surgery, which Mm. can play a role for some. And I don't want to discount that, but I don't believe it should be the first line of defense. I really, truly believe physio is, is, can be incredibly life-changing and successful for so many that they could avoid surgery. If somebody needs surgery or if they choose it, that's fine. But again, I would love for the surgeons and the the medical community to be collaborating with and incorporating pelvic floor physio into a prehab and rehab scenario because it would improve the outcome of surgery and and make sure that this 
because people who have surgery, there's a high recurrence rate because surgery addresses symptoms and takes them away, which can be life changing, but doesn't necessarily change what contributed to the problem developing in the first place. So there's often people that say, oh, my surgery failed or I have Mm -hmm. this, but now I have a different issue. And if if physio was incorporated and pelvic floor fitness was incorporated, then I think these people would have way better outcomes. And then eventually, you know, down the road with the next generation, the more we talk about this and incorporate it into our life, just like we go to the dentist, nobody questions that. We go to the dentist, we, even if we have no symptoms, toothaches, we just go in, we have our checkup and we get, there's our, exactly our annual health maintenance. And I think the pelvic floor should be the same. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I wonder if it's because when you've had something for so long and it's one of those topics that typically people don't talk about that you mm-hmm. just sort of, you think it can't be now. I know I'm not saying it's easy, but mm-hmm. potentially we could say it's simple. It can't be that simple to fix this or to address these challenges and make it better. It I've lived with it for so long. Mm-hmm there's no way that something so simple could work. Totally. Um, you know, it's sort of that disbelief and uncertainty. And then, oh, well, my doctor says surgery, that must be the magic fix, right? Right. It's, it's interesting is we have to help spread the message that actually it, it is simple. It takes some work, but, um, yep. you know. And, yeah. And that's, that's a really great point too. It does take a little bit of work. And I know that um, there's some people will put the time in and it, it can be life-changing and other people it won't make that commitment. And, and really, I'm all about informed choice. So if they know the options, if they know pelvic floor physio is an option and they still choose not to go, that's fine. At least they know and they have the awareness that it's, it is an option presented because as it stands now, very, very few people know about it and have, nobody along the way, even though they may have had multiple surgeries or have been dealing with this for years, nobody's ever mentioned it. So it's never too late to make a change. And yes, it, it might take a little bit longer if you have been struggling for years and years and years, or if there's kind of a few different layers to the challenges that you have, but, mm. um, but it's never, never, it's never too late. And, and I hope that more women opt to, to take the time and invest the time. So what is the work that you do? You are not a pelvic floor physio, correct? Correct. So what do you do to help women? So I handle the movement piece. So I am a personal trainer and I incorporate the philosophies of fitness. So the principle of specificity in fitness basically says that you need to train for whatever event it is that you're training for. So initially I started with birth and pregnant women. So I was Mm. training women for birth with a, a high emphasis on the pelvic floor and optimizing that, knowing that Birth is a pregnancy and birth are are definitely contributors to the development of pelvic floor challenges. So if we could help women while they're pregnant before they give birth and give them the education and awareness and tools to take into their birth that could facilitate them birthing better, birthing with more confidence, changing birth positions that could also help protect the pelvic floor, mm. and then give them their recovery strategies as well. Because in our society, we definitely live in a uh, get your body back as quick as possible world. Yeah. <laughs> and and so embracing strategies that other cultures around the world use that honor that process of recovery and really honor the woman and, and nurture them. It's not just all about the baby. We need to make sure that the mom is healing and, and recovering as well. So so that's kind of where I started. And and then again it kind of evolved as I started to age myself and work with women at different stages and so I, I take 
the philosophy of a Kegel exercise, which is again, a contract and lift and relaxation of the pelvic floor muscles and looked at the way that it's most commonly prescribed is, is people to say, do your Kegels. And then you read about it in magazines or, you know, online, it says, oh, do them at every red light or do them while you brush your teeth. (laughs) Exactly. So women are like, okay. And you know, I'm like, oh, I'm, I, maybe I did five today or, and so I kind of say, forget, just focus on driving or focus on brushing your teeth. And (laughs) it takes too much attention to do it properly. Exactly. Well, that's it. Exactly. It does take a little bit of awareness. And if you're distracted by driving and what have you, I I just don't think that's the greatest mix, but (laughs) so learn how to do them correctly. And that's the other piece that's missing is people prescri- like is very often prescribed, but no, nobody really takes the time to teach you how to do it. So it's kind of this elusive exercise. But people think of it as something that needs to be done in a static position, meaning you're sitting or you're lying down. But really, the, the symptoms that show up are often not when we're sitting or lying down. They are when we are moving, when we're walking, when we jump, when we whatever. And so we need our pelvic floor to be able to respond to our daily life, our activities of daily living, our sports, our fitness, our whatever it is. And so we need to train it that way. So I work in collaboration with the physios. They handle the internal assessment and treatment, and I handle the movement piece that supports the work that they do. And I also, I I work with people who maybe don't have access to a physio because not everybody Mm -hmm. does. There's, there isn't one in every single community around the world. Maybe it's financial for some people. It's all sorts of different reasons. So I wanted to try to make pelvic floor fitness as accessible and affordable as possible to every woman and teach them how to activate their pelvic floor, engage their core, because the pelvic floor is the base of the core. So anytime you're doing, you know, quote unquote, core exercise, it really does and should involve the pelvic floor as a, as a driving force. And then learn how to take that into your movement and this, the work that I do is, is it's not all about just Kegel, Kegel, Kegel. It's <laughs> also about learning to release and to let go. So I mentioned that some women, a lot of women have a harder time letting go of their pelvic floor than they do actually contracting it or engaging it. And that can develop out of, so when you are experiencing potentially incontinence and you're afraid that you're going to leak, you might start to create some kind of gripping and and Mm -hmm. tension type patterns because you're afraid to leak. Or if you feel like something's going to fall out or there's something in your vagina or, and you, maybe, you know, you have prolapse and the, the thought of one of your organs bulging and you think that it's going to eventually bulge out, you're going to start to develop more grippy patterns as well. So it's learning to let go of those and balance and lengthen the muscles around the pelvis so the posture is better, the breathing then is better, the digestion is better, and the function of the pelvic floor is better. So that's kind of what I do. Amazing. And is that largely in person or online or how, how does your work typically happen? So I used to do in person and now I've transitioned to mainly online again to increase accessibility. Mm-hmm. And when the probably the most common way that people kind of come in and learn about what I'm doing is my 28-day challenge. So it's, right. I do that the first Tuesday of every month, and it's an, an app-based challenge that essentially guides people through how to do a Kegel and bringing it into movement. And there's up training and down training. And by up training, I mean that's where you're actually activating your pelvic floor and then the down training where you're learning to relax and find ease. And there's posture education in there. So it kind of covers the the main teaching points that I have 
over 28 days on your app. So you get a reminder every day. You have five things to do. It takes about five to 10 minutes. So people find it very easy to incorporate into their daily life. And people have huge success. A lot of people by week two are symptom-free. They've ditched the pads that they've been wearing for years and years and years. So there's a huge amount of success, which I love. And then from there, if people want more, they can opt to get, I have a, an online kind of DIY program that's full of education and exercise and workouts and guest expert interviews, because it does take a collaborative effort, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. then they can also do coaching with me, which is online. So they kind of, you know, I, I tried to cover all bases to make it again as, mo- as, as accessible as possible. That is that is awesome. I I saw the 28-day challenge on your website. It looks fantastic. You also have a ton of free content on your website. I saw the video with your vulva puppet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I recommend that everybody go check out your website. And uh, sorry, can you just remind people what that is? Yeah. Yep. Vaginacoach.com. And um, yeah, and, and I've got a bunch. So there's some on my website and also I have a YouTube channel where I, I post videos on there as well or my Instagram. Awesome. Yep. It was the um, it was the one of the videos on your website that I first saw the sort of the letting go piece and also the drawing in. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we think of Kegels as sort of just the clinch, right? Exactly, and you yep. don't actually have the lift. Yep. And so um, I've already just by watching a few of your videos and reading some stuff on your website learned a ton. And then this obviously this conversation has been super informative. But I I think people need to inform themselves and and get mm-hmm. educated. I think everybody should take your challenge and and understand. Is it primarily people that have been through pregnancy and childbirth that experience these challenges or uh it's it's definitely i would say the majority but mm-hmm. there it can happen to women who've never been pregnant in their life before so it's not right you know, not having children or not being pregnant at some point doesn't make you immune. And nor does if you have been pregnant and and given birth, if you've given birth via cesarean, that also does not make you immune. A lot of people think, oh, well, I had a cesarean section, so therefore my pelvic floor is fine. And that's not the case either. There's already been so much pressure through pregnancy. Exactly. On that area, right? Yeah. You have the same hormonal influences. You have the same posture and biomechanical changes that have happened. Some women have actually gone into labor and even maybe even pushed before they've gone to cesarean. Um, And the cesarean is when you have a C-section, there are layers of, so they cut through layers and layers of tissue And then they sew those layers back up. So you have multiple layers of adhesions, which Mm -hmm. we need to have. That's part of the healing process in the body. But adhesions can sometimes adhere, (laughs) based on the name. They can sometimes get sticky almost. And they can sometimes they might stick to maybe one of the organs or maybe they they Mm. get stuck in a way that it doesn't allow the muscle to work in a balanced way. So it's really important that women, especially who've had a cesarean, that they... um, see a physio to help get that tissue mobilized and help keep it mobilized so that it's it allows for full function. Um, so yeah, but it, so it's not, yes, it's predominantly women who've given birth. There are actually some people that do it that are pregnant. I'm actually working on a pregnancy version of it, mm. but, um, but it's not... Uh, there's age ranges in there from, you know, there's people that are pregnant all the way up. I think that, I think... Well, my mom did it. My mom's 74. I think she was the oldest. I think she was the oldest, but I've had, you know, lots of late 60s, early 70s people take it as well. 
That's awesome. They must just feel it's transformative, you know, it is. after it really is yeah. living with it for so long. Wow. Yeah. No, it's awesome. You are a mom of two, correct? I am a mom of two. Yes. And both boys, right? Both boys. Yes. 15 and 12. So- so how do they feel about mom's title and, and the work <laughs> that mom does? They, I think they are secretly proud, but they, uh-huh. my, my oldest especially is, you know, he's on Instagram now and, and he's, you know, I, I said, I'm going to be following you. And he said, just don't like or comment on anything. <laughs> <laughs> Liked by the vagina coach, yeah. <laughs> which okay, fair enough. But I, you know, he's yeah. So they they appreciate what I do. They don't necessarily want to um, talk about it super openly <laughs> with their friends. My youngest is actually fair. more open. Like he's he's very much he's quite comfortable with talking about it, and he I think he feels quite proud that I help women. And and they used to say that I I would help moms have babies, which I didn't actually ever attend births and, and help women that way. But um, so I think what, what I'm hoping is that, you know, they've been around my vulva puppet and I have pelvis models everywhere. I've got vulva type material all around the house and they have seen it their whole life really. Right. And so they're very comfortable with it. And I remember they had they were the the Salim and Noon sex educators came into their school and uh, this is sort of grade five I think it was yeah, and yeah. and I was secretly really proud because I was sitting in the back and my kids were putting their hands up because they could identify all the parts and they knew what was happening and oh that's menstruation that's a uterus and that's this and, amazing and so I was kind of in the back going yes yes they they know and <laughs> so I think that it's something that's they felt empowered by that as well too. And even though maybe right now they won't necessarily admit it, I think that they are secretly think it's kind of cool. <laughs> oh, for sure. That is so awesome. I love it. Okay. So around the campfire is a podcast for moms. So there are a few questions that I asked just as we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, or do you define balance as a mom? Uh, how do I define it? I don't know if I don't know if it's ever completely everything's in balance. I think balance, mm-hmm. it's always a bit of a state of flux and there are times where it's out of balance and there's times where it's completely in balance. So I think it's sort of an evolving, yeah. ever-changing uh, lifestyle. And I think the fact that I, I'm i an entrepreneur, I, I've been an entrepreneur really for the majority of my kids' lives. Um, you know, I was, my youngest was, I think he was about a year and a half almost two when, when I became an entrepreneur and he's now 12, almost 13. So they, they have always had the benefit of me being around and being at home and, and having Mm. the ability to go on field trips at school or come to school and help out. And, um, I have felt really grateful for having that opportunity as well. There's been days where I feel out of balance from a work perspective, because maybe I've been more attentive to my kids. This is more so when they were younger. Now they're pretty independent, but you know, there's days where I would have had work to do and I'm on a field trip or, you know, so it's kind of an, it's, I don't know if there ever is truly balance, but it's, it's as long as you have the awareness of when it's out of balance and taking time to get things back in check and also just just take a breath. It's okay. It'll come back at some point and, and, um, and just make sure that you, my, my kids and my health are my priority. They always come first, no matter what. Excellent. That is fantastic advice. 
Uh, it's interesting when you think of a scale with two sides, right? Mm-hmm. If you sort of in that balance point, even if one side is lower than the other, it is still technically balanced. If you're putting priority mm-hmm. or, or work on one more one side more than the other at any given time, it's still sitting in balance unless mm-hmm. one side crashes to the bottom. Totally. You know? Good point. Yep. It, it is still balanced. So I think this this idea of us trying to achieve that perfect straight line across the board isn't realistic, right? Some things Agreed. have to give and it's always in motion. Totally. You have so, to be dynamic and adaptable. And yes, I totally agree 100%. Yeah. All right. So we have said your Instagram is Vagina Coach. Mm-hmm. Your website is vaginacoach.com. Are mm-hmm. those the best places for people to find you? Yeah. Instagram from a social media perspective is definitely where I spend the most time. Uh, Mm -hmm. I do have a Facebook page that is now Vagina Coach as well. And, (laughs) um, (laughs) but yeah, I'm definitely most active on Instagram and then, uh, and my web website, you can go and find videos and, and, and kind of read a little bit more about what I do. Is that where they would find information about the 28 day challenge? Yes. And that starts the first Tuesday of every month you said, right? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, this conversation has been so informative and just fascinating. I think we need to just do more to scream this from the rooftops about the work that that women can do to address this stuff. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for giving me a platform. Yeah. I really appreciate what you do in your work and also thank you for being here. I think it's it's fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Likewise. Love what you're doing and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Oh, thank you. All right, mamas, that's it for today. For more info about this episode, you can check out the show notes at momcamplife.com slash podcast. Hang out with us on Instagram at momcamplife. And if you love this episode, please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and join us next time around the campfire.